Welcome to the Heights Sermon Series Podcast, where each week you'll hear a new message that'll help you with your life shaped by the Word. And good morning, Heights family. Great to see everybody on this Sunday in March. March means that spring's almost here. Spring means that summer is almost here, and that means a lot going on with our children and uh, youth. Uh, today, specifically with our children, want to share with you a little bit about uh, wind shape and kidnecked. And before I do, I want to tell you, I just want to say publicly how proud I am of Eric, how grateful Eric Heatherly, by the way, this is our children's pastor. I know not everybody might know that. <laughs> yeah, the last service went, eh. So, <laughs> um, about three years ago, you said 2019, Eric led us to, to doing Windshape. And this is kind of a replacement of our traditional vacation Bible school. I wasn't even sure you could be called a church if you didn't do a traditional vacation Bible school. And, uh, but he led us into this saying, hey, it's all the same makeup of what we do in a Bible school with some additions, and it reaches a lot deeper into the community. And uh, so we've been at that now for three years, and it is profound what it's accomplishing, and even looking at the prospects of this summer. So Eric, thank you. When the rest of us were fear and trembling, you, you with bravery said, let's press forward. Now, I know I'm throwing out words, wind shape and kidneck, like they're words, but those aren't words anybody knows what they mean. Most so, people don't. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Share what those two things are. So kidnecked uh, is what we do in our preschool ministry, which looks very much like a traditional vacation Bible school. Okay. And so that's for uh, children that are three to five years old. Windshape is an all-day camp that we host Monday through Friday as well, eight all, in the morning. Eight in the morning. Till 445 in the afternoon. Okay. And that's for completed kindergartners through completed eighth graders. Okay. And what goes on in a day camp? So we have everything from, we have what we call wake-up time, which is literally you pull up and we have inflatables and all kinds of stuff that you play on to... And we're trying to wake up. We are trying to, <laughs> we're trying to get motivation happening. Yeah. Um, but we also have Bible studies, small group Bible studies, recreation time, games, skills that they're going to learn, like cooking and construction and stuff like okay, that. Like, like a day camp. Like a day camp. Okay. Very much so. Yes, All sir. right. So we're talking about this day. I assume that's because it's time to start signing up for that, registering. It is definitely time to start registering. Okay. So to, you cannot register today. <gasps> yeah, I know. Why are you up here? Because we're not here tomorrow. Oh, okay. <laughs> that makes sense. <laughs> um, uh, but we do open registration tomorrow morning at 9 a.m. for both of those, for the preschoolers in Kidneck and for Windshape. And uh, we are expecting that to explode. Okay. Because it usually does. All right. I know a lot of activity you said in the last hour. Now, there is a cost, not with Kidnecked, Correct. but there's a cost with Windshape. There is and a cost with windshield. exciting news about that, I think. Yes. So when you hear cost, you think, well, wait, my vacation Bible school didn't cost me anything. Yeah. Um, so we, we actually work on that. We are very blessed to have some partners in our church and some business partners in our community who come alongside us. Okay. And they are just passionate about windshape and what we're doing. So the cost is $224. Okay. But not really. Um, so we are offering camp for 
a limited number. Now, I say limited, and I'm going to use that term loosely uh, because it's more than we've ever offered it before. But I don't want to say how many because I don't want people to be like, I got time. Yeah. Um, You're tricking them. Yeah. The most we have ever (laughs) offered camper-wise at $99. At 99 Okay, super. And that's because people are seeing what it's doing. They're, they're so we have some, some financial now, supporters. That $99, are us. what am I, I, I mean, there is a cost to this. I mean, that's, that $99 feeds them, and we're bringing in a, a crew of people who teach these specialties, these Correct. skills. Share a little bit about that. So the big thing that's a little bit different about Vacation Bible School is we have a team that comes in from us. So Windshape was founded by Truer Kathy, who founded Chick-fil-A, and he had this vision for doing camps, started as an overnight camp, became a day camp, and so they're doing both now. They're going to send us a team of 30 people with two box trucks full of stuff okay, to so, make camp happen. And that stuff doesn't and that, get here for free. Correct. And yeah. so this helps cover the cost of them sending us 30 trained, vetted young adults who want to come and give everything they've got for a week to okay. our community. So there's a team. Does that mean we don't need anybody in the church to get involved? That would be incorrect. That, okay. Yes. <laughs> Thank that you for would correcting 100% <laughs> incorrect. Yeah. We absolutely need you to be a part of that. And so, like I said, we have partners in our community and in our church who have who are giving financially to that, which is awesome. That's super helpful. And if you would be interested in that, come talk to us. We're going to be out in the concourse. Uh, but we need team members. We need people in Kidnect and in Windshape to sign up and say, hey, I'd love to hang out with kids. I'd love to show them the love of Jesus, to teach them about the Bible. Now, the good news about Windshape, we don't actually do a lot of the teaching. So we just, I want to be there. I want to build relationships. I want to connect with people in our church, in our community. How do I do that? And here's the good news. You actually don't have to serve all day. A lot of our team does, but you can say, I've got like a hard time of two o'clock for a nap. Yes, we are, we are on board with napping. Yes. Okay. Yes. So you could say, (laughs) I can only serve in the morning or I can serve in the afternoon or I can only serve Monday and Thursday. And when you register to volunteer, you can put all of that information in for us, and then we will just plan accordingly. Okay. I think you've answered a lot of questions, but if I'm still thinking something or want to ask something, I can find who? You can find all of us. We're gonna, I say us. That's our Windshape Leadership Team out in the concourse. Okay. Uh, we're the, the folks wearing either this shirt or the spacesuits. Don't ask. Space. Like space, outer space. Like outer space, like blast off. I'm not going to ask. Yes. Um, okay. So it's, it goes with the theme. Oh, the <laughs> yeah, theme. The okay. Theme. Um, so, yes, yeah, some of us, I didn't wear the space suit. You're welcome up here. Um, you're welcome. Very orange. It was very orange, <laughs> yes. Um, we know how some people feel about orange. Um, so very orange. But we're out there. We're ready to answer questions about how much does it cost me? Where do I go to register? Hey, I, I want to partner with you. Like, okay. how could I support this financially? Um, we're out there at the tables in the concourse. If you're interested in Kidnect, uh, that's going to be at our preschool desk, which is right here in the North Concourse. And Ms. Brandy and her team, okay. her team are ready to chat like with you. It sounds like if you get to people dressed in orange, you can we, get directed we'll get you everywhere in the you right need. direction. Okay. Yes. Go y'all, that way. Y'all, you can get them off. Thank, <laughs> thank Eric for being here today. Thank you. <laughs> We really are excited. Every year it's grown. Every year we've had great opportunity with this. And, and boy, seeing that price 
come down, uh, we, we hope we're going to have even a, a greater opportunity in the summer ahead. Got to, we just, y'all just heard from Todd. I got to talk with Todd yesterday morning uh, for a little bit. And I don't know if y'all saw it in his eyes, and maybe I see it because I talked to him yesterday. He is tired and he is stressed. He is, he, is going, he is living long, long, long days, and obviously what y'all know is what is going on there, serving and helping people. And you know, a, a good reminder, folks, in the greatest darkness, in the greatest devastation, the light of the gospel is the brightest. And uh, he is certainly, you know, they, they, for those of you who don't know, Todd and Veronica and his, his kids, uh, longtime members of our church, 20-some years, uh, left four or five years ago. They served full-time in Ukraine in Venezia, and, and they fled because they were kind of told they had to if, if you have a U.S. passport. So they're in Romania right now. But uh, what he's been doing, he, he went into that another time or two ago, he's been running refugees back and forth uh, from the from the border and into where he is trying. And refugees is almost entirely women and children because men can't leave the country, and so he's running them back and forth, trying to get food, shelter, clothing for them. And then you heard about what he's doing right now. Uh, I think he told me he's a six-hour round trip, um, nine hundred dollars in gasoline. Uh, so re- really, very, very difficult there right now. Very grateful. I, I, sh- I assume a lot of you saw it. Uh, Wayne Koval and CBS Six. Uh, somehow caught wind of this and did a story on Todd and, and our church and what's going on there and uh, invited the community along with y'all if you want to support, give anything to this. And I think through yesterday, about $25,000 has been given to filling up those trucks that he was talking about and uh, just just doing the work that is there. So uh, I, I've, I've feel real need to give a shout out to CBS 6 there and of course all, all of you. Great opportunity, great great ministry there and all of that horrible things that we're, we're seeing on the news. So anyway, keep him in your prayers. I assure you he needs strength emotionally, physically, spiritually, mentally, all of it. He's running wide, wide open right now. Well, today we're going to continue our series, Easter at Luke's. Easter at Luke's is a companion series to Easter or Christmas at Luke's. Uh, I came into both of these series with the idea of taking one of the Gospels, and, and Luke was the one I chose, and just walking through verse by verse the entire everything we're given about Christmas, everything we're given about Easter. And uh, at Christmas time, we spent five, six weeks, I think, on two chapters. And uh, Easter, we began in Luke 19, about halfway through Luke 19. And the reason we began there is that's where it begins to tell the story of Jesus entering Jerusalem for this last week. So that's where we're picking this up. Middle of chapter 19, we're in the last week of Christ leading up to his death, burial, and resurrection. Now think of that. He knows this is his last week. He knows he's living his final days. If you knew that, what would you be doing? If you knew you had a couple days to live, and it's not because you're sick, you're not bedridden, you're, you're healthy, you're mobile. If, if you knew you were down to a couple of days, what would be important for you to do? 
Who would you want to be engaging with? What conversations would you want to be having? You know, I just think that, that mentality right there, that thought right there, is a way to read through these last four or five chapters. Because we're watching Jesus do what he, he thinks, hey, I've, you know, my number of conversations is limited. I'm down to the last few. So we see what he thinks counts. What is a hypothetical exercise for us is his reality. So as we read Luke chapter 21 here in a moment, we're reading about a day in the life of Jesus when we're down to just a couple days left. So let's look at that. Luke chapter 21. Luke chapter 21. I'm going to read the, uh, the whole chapter. It's a long chapter. I hope you brought a sack lunch. Luke chapter 21. Let me begin in verse 1. While Jesus was in the temple, he watched the rich people dropping their gifts in the collection box. Then a poor widow came by and dropped in two small coins. I tell you the truth, Jesus said, this poor widow has given more than all the rest of them, for they have given a tiny part of their surplus, but she, poor as she is, has given everything that she has. Some of the disciples began talking about the the majestic stonework there and the the memorial decorations on the wall. But Jesus said, The time is coming when all these things will be completely demolished. Not one stone will be left on top of another. Teacher, they asked, "When, when will all this happen? What sign will show us that these things are about to take place? Now let me let me pause right there. Remember, we know Jesus Jesus can count the words he has left. He can count the number of times he's going to teach he has left. And this is the second time in just a couple of days he's talked about Jerusalem being demolished, Jerusalem being destroyed. And and so now it's the second time the disciples say, "Uh, could I get like an ETA on that? (laughs) I'd like to not be here. You know, what's the date that's going to be happening? And Jesus does something prophetically here that actually happens quite a bit in the Bible. He takes an immediate future event and uses that to springboard into an ultimate future event. So it's the second time he's talked about Jerusalem's going to be destroyed, and that happens in 70 AD. But he uses now to springboard into an ultimate event that's still future, not only to them, but to you and me. So let's see how he answers this in verse 8. He replied, don't let anyone mislead you. For many will come in my name claiming I am the Messiah and saying the time has come. Don't believe them. And when you hear of wars and insurrections, don't panic. Boy, can you imagine that if you're like actually in the middle of a war, an insurrection? Yet these things must take place first, but the end won't follow immediately. Then he added, nation will go to war against nation and kingdom against kingdom There will be great earthquakes and there will be famines and plagues in many lands and there will be terrifying things and great miraculous signs from heaven. Now, if you were here back in 2020, uh, we spent about a half a year going through Revelation. And what we learn in Revelation, what we learn in this passage right here, I mean, all of these things he's listed, that's always gone on. And it's, it's going on now. The difference of what Jesus is talking about in Luke 21 or what we read in Revelation is these things are always isolated. It's happening over there. 
But when we get into the tribulation, what we just read happens every day on every square inch of the earth. The entire planet is experiencing all of these things at the same time. But before all this occurs, there will be a great time of persecution. You'll be dragged into synagogues and prisons. You'll stand trial before kings and governors because you are my followers. But this will be... (laughs) This will be your opportunity. I don't know, getting arrested and killed and all that. I just wouldn't usually use the word opportunity right there, right? But Jesus, no, no, this is your opportunity. To do what? To tell them about me. So don't worry in advance about how to answer the charges against you. For I will give you the right words and such wisdom that none of your opponents will be able to reply or refute you. Even those closest to you, your parents, brothers, relatives, and friends will betray you. That's real. That happens. That happens in our world today. They will even kill some of you. And everyone will hate you because you are my followers, but not a hair of your head will perish. Now, wait a minute. He just said some of them will kill you, but then he says, but you won't perish. Well, that's the difference between temporary and eternity, right? Yeah, in a moment in time, there might be a temporary temporary death to this body, but that's no big deal. We live forever. Now, you perish for all eternity in hell, that's a big deal. Jesus says, you don't have to worry about that. By standing firm, you will win your soul, standing firm in our faith in Christ. And when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then you will know the time of its destruction has arrived. Then those in Judea must flee to the hills. Those in Jerusalem must get out, and those out in the country should not return to the city. Boy, this is an important verse. For those will be days of God's vengeance, and the prophetic words of Scripture will be fulfilled. 22 is a key verse, I think, to understanding all of the description of the end times and the order of things. You know, when we hear words like vengeance and anger and jealousy, when we hear those words attached to God, and, and the Bible attaches all three of those words to God, it's hard to read. And what does that mean? Because you and I have never seen anger and jealousy and vengeance that's not entirely tainted in sin. But God has the ability, don't ask me how, to show an anger, to show a jealousy, to show a vengeance that is entirely tainted in love and justice. He's doing justice when he does this. And what is his justice? He's getting vengeance against the Jewish people. His people, Israel. Why? Why, why? why would God be doing that? When's Jesus teaching this? He's given this teaching about two days away from the cross. What's going to happen at the cross? The formal rejection by Israel of their Messiah. Can you imagine this, folks? God's people are going to yell and scream, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. And Rome of all people, Rome is going to say, he's innocent. And they will yell back, may his blood be on our head and on our children. God in love and justice will do exactly what is right in response to that. 
See the teaching, see the timing, see the context, see the why. It's very important to understand what is going on in the tribulation. We'll come back to that actually in just a moment. How terrible it will be for pregnant women and nursing mothers in those days. Hard to run with a baby in tow. For there will be disaster in the land and great anger against this people. They will be killed by the sword or sent away as captives to all the nations of the world. And Jerusalem will be trampled down by the Gentiles until the period of the Gentiles comes to an end. And there will be strange signs in the sun, moon, and stars. And here on earth the nations will be in turmoil, perplexed by roaring seas and strange tides. People will be terrified at what they see coming upon the earth, for the powers in the heavens will be shaken. You will not have to turn on the news to see what is going on. You just have to look outside. Everybody, everywhere will be experiencing this. Then everyone... We'll see the Son of Man coming on a cloud with power and great glory. So when all these things begin to happen, stand and look up, for your salvation is near. Then he gave them this illustration. Notice the fig tree or any tree. When the leaves come out, hey, we're in the month that the leaves come out, right? And that means what? It's going to start getting warm. We all know. We, we can look at certain things and we know what's about to happen. When leaves come out, you know without being told that summer is near, In the same way, when you see all these things taking place, you can know that the kingdom of God is near. I tell you the truth, this generation will not pass away from the scene until all these things have taken place. Heaven and earth will disappear, but my words will never disappear. Always hold on to what lasts forever. That's what you have when you're holding on to your Bible. Watch out. Don't let your hearts be dulled by carousing and drunkenness and by the worries of this life. Don't let that day catch you unaware like a trap. For that day will come upon everyone living on the earth. Keep alert at all times and pray that you might be strong enough to escape these coming horrors and stand before the Son of Man. Every day Jesus went to the temple to teach. And each evening he returned to spend the night on the Mount of Olives. The crowds gathered at the temple early each morning to hear him. I, I want to start by where we just finished, verse 37 and, and verse 38. I, I want you to know what, what, what is Jesus doing as he's got just a couple of days to live. He's going to work. He's spending time with family and friends. And what's the work? By the way, I, I'm not talking about necessarily a paycheck work He's doing the work that you and I, that we're all called to do, and that is the work of teaching people about God. Teaching people about God in the day, family and friends at night. Now, if I knew what Jesus knew, I think I'd be on a train out of town. What about you? I mean, people on the train need to know about God. Can I teach the people on the train about God? He knows what's getting ready to happen to him. As a matter of fact, I find it so interesting That while he is living very openly out in broad daylight, out in public, doing the exact same schedule. I mean, if you don't want somebody to catch you, you mix up your schedule. You stay in different places. He's keeping the exact same schedule, doing the exact same thing each day while the enemy is living in the shadows. Behind closed doors, planning a betrayal, an arrest, the trials, and an execution. Boy, it's so clear. Jesus is not trying to get away. There's a lot of ways we see that. But here is so clear. He's not trying to get away. He is taking this head on. And when I say head on, I'm not talking about the enemies. 
I'm talking about the pleasure of his father, the will of his father. And it is the will of his father. It is Isaiah 53, the pleasure of his father that he go to the cross for you and for me. He's not trying to get away from that. He's taking it head on. And what do we see him do with a, what would, what would you cause in front of him? A crisis, chaos, darkness, devastation, war. What word would you describe what is in front of him? And look how he's living. I do the work of God in the day, family and friends at night. You know, you and I are, a lot of us, right? We're followers of Christ. Yes? All right. (laughs) Just trying to remember where I am. Now, following, if we can just play the simple game, following the leader, that implies that I'm kind of walking behind Christ and I'm going where he goes, saying what he says. I'm doing what he's doing. I'm trying to be like him. You know, folks, it's almost a lesson in itself. As Jesus approaches chaos and crisis, we get a little insight how to live. And notice what he's not doing. He's not stockpiling. He's not fleeing to the hills. He's not running up the credit card because it's not going to matter. And he's not living in any kind of fear. So, oh, yeah, but he's God. And you and I are to walk right behind him and live like him. No fear. I didn't say not a sense of urgency, not a sense of seriousness, not a sense of importance, but no fear. Folks, let me give you something to go home and chew on because this statement's hard to swallow. Fear is the antithesis to knowing and walking with God. Fear is a contradiction to saying, I know and I'm walking with God. That's hard to swallow since we all fear. But if I'm with him and he's got all this, then we're okay. We take it on. We move forward. So this is, this is just what Jesus is doing each day as he lives. Now let's look and see what is going on in this day. First three, thir- three four verses give us uh, a story ca- we call the, the widow's mite, right? Maybe one of the most well-known stories in the entire Bible. As a matter of fact, you'll hear people refer to the widow's mite that aren't even believers in Christ, don't even believe the Bible. They may not even know that that phrase comes out of the Bible, but they... They refer to the widow's might. Now, it's an interesting thing here. Remember, Jesus got a set number of days measuring what is going on. And this is now the second time that he has stopped a crowd to talk about an act of giving. Now, this one actually seems to be taking place kind of like in what you and I would would think of as a service. Can you imagine the, the plate going up and down the road? Remember when we used to do that? Who knew the plate was passing a virus? So we don't do that anymore. But, but can you imagine back in the old, old, olden days when we passed a plate and the, the choir would be singing? Can you imagine if I got up right in the middle of the song and said, Stop! Stop the choir! Hey, I want everybody to look over here at what just happened. Now, I'm guessing not only would the person who's holding the plate with their stomach sink, I'm guessing wouldn't all of us right now think, Oh my gosh, what's he doing? Wouldn't, wouldn't that just feel a little awkward to everybody? And Jesus says, look what just happened here. And she puts in these, these two small coins. Now, what are these two small coins? They're two lepta, L-E-P-T, 
A. Sometime at work, uh, school this week, work that into the conversation. You know that widow actually gave a, a lepta. That you, people will be very impressed with you. So you say, well, what, how much is a lepta? We always, we always refer to this as a penny. I, I don't know that that's what it is. A lepta is one hundredth of a denarius. That helps you, doesn't it? So a denarius is a day's wage. Now, you know, what's a day's wage? I mean, that varies. But there was a pretty standard wage across Israel of being a denarius. So let's just, for for fun, trying to figure out the economic impact of what she just did, what's a day's wage? So in Virginia right now, minimum wage is $11 an hour. Somebody works eight hours, that's $88. A lepta is one hundredth of that. She put in two. So she put in two hundredths of $88, be like she put in $1.76. $1.76 is what she just put into the plate there. Kind of hard to hear that amount and think, yeah, yeah, it's not going to make a huge difference, is it? But that's cute. Honestly, we think, that, man, that's, isn't that special what, what, what she did there? Maybe that's what we hear Jesus saying, man, isn't, isn't that special? You know, uh, it, you hear her phrase, timing's everything? Interesting story. I, uh, I finished writing this message two Tuesdays ago, not this past past Tuesday, but the Tuesday before that. And I finished writing it in the, in the morning, that morning. And I had several appointments that afternoon. Uh, one of those appointments with Joe and Betty Hales. Joe and Betty are longtime residents of Colonial Heights. As a matter of fact, they're generational residents of Colonial Heights. And uh, two people I know, not members of our church, they're members of a precious sister church, Mount Pleasant. Uh, been there for a long time. And so, you know, I was kind of curious... What, what, what he might be coming in to, to talk to me about. You know, I, do you ever live with that guilt? You know, what did I do? She's, oh my gosh, what's this about? And so uh, anyway, Joe and, Joe and Betty come in, came in. We exchanged some pleasantries. And I didn't know this, but Joe's grandmother, Ivy uh, Hales, was a member of the Heights Baptist Church. This would be a very long time ago. And uh, Ivy lived uh, a hard life. I'm confident some of y'all know, know what all that, that means. A hard, a hard family life, uh, a hard financial life. Uh, she, did, she didn't go through life with a lot, and, the, and what she had, it, it was a struggle. It, it was a fight. One of the things, and our, our grandparents, our parents teach us lots of things, but one thing that, that stuck with Joe, it, with this lady who had so very little, was that you, you need to give the tithe. Whatever you have, whatever you don't have, when, when you get something, you give 10% of that. You, you give that to the church. And uh, so we always, always, always taught that. Well, anyway, you know, Ivy did what grandmothers do. They, they pass away at some point, right? And uh, her, her son, which would be Joe's dad, uh, her son and, and his wife went and, you know, do what we got to do. You know, you, you clean up. Some stuff goes out to the garbage. Some stuff gets sold. And then there's that stuff we keep. You know, it's sentimental. It's, it's our family. It's our memory. And so, you know... Joe's dad had a, I don't know how big it was, a handful, whatever, of stuff that he was saving from his mom's life. Well, fast forward the story a little bit quicker, and uh, Joe's, Joe's mom passes away. And uh, dad knows he's not long on this earth, too. He knows his days are coming. And, and so he's kind of doing his own cleaning up of, of things and sharing some things with Joe and, and giving some things to Joe. And in just a handful of her worldly goods was this uh, prescription 
uh, jar right here. It came from drug fair. When did drug fair go out of business? That was, well, we're talking about somebody's grandma a long time ago. So long time, matter of fact, the date of the prescription is January 24th, 1978. So this little jar right here is 44 years old. And so it was just like that in, in his grandmother's stuff. And inside is $3.50. And, and somewhere, I don't know if it was in a day's work, a week's work, a gift or whatever, $35 would have been a lot of money to Ivy. And she pulled $3.50 out, put it in this jar. And uh, I haven't reached into it yet because I don't want to hurt this note. But uh, there's a little note. You can just barely see it in there. And it says church money. She pulled this out and uh, to give to the church, but it, it never made it here. So her son cleaned up and got it, and then he passed it to Joe. And Joe's had it for a while because it just meant so much to him, sentimental. Finally, he realized, you know, he's stealing from the church and probably ought to, <laughs> probably ought to get it where he belongs. Hence, his appointment with me because she was a member of the Heights Baptist Church. And so he brought it in and he gave it and, and told, that, told that whole story and then handed this to me and then made a comment that, that is just, every one of us is going to make the comment. It's, it's just the comment that goes with $1.76,350. Well, it's not much, right? But, you know, and we just, boy, you know, you just, you appreciate it. Is, is that what Jesus is doing here? You know, it's, it's not much, but, you know, in the South, we say, bless their heart. <laughs> bless their heart. Look, look what they're trying to do. But he actually leads an entire congregation to applaud what's happening here, to look up to what's happening here. And this is the second time in three days that Jesus has done that. We studied a couple of weeks ago the other time. Remember, they were at a dinner party. Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, and Mary brings the gift, and that gift, and we kind of went through the same science of, okay, what would be the, in, the, the economic impact of that and trying to figure out today, and that gift was $54,000. So in the space of, of two, three days, Jesus applauds three fifty, dollars $1.76, and then he applauds the fifty-four. Now, I get the 54000 right? I get that. That's, that's going to make a real difference, but this, that's just, that's just being cute. Is that what Jesus is saying? How can he applaud both amounts? And folks, something came upon, upon me studying this passage about this that I'd never thought of before. The reason Jesus can equally applaud both amounts is because he doesn't need either amount. He doesn't need the 54000 any more than he needs the dollar seventy six. See, I need those things. I, I need that. So if you give me $1.76, I'm going to say thank you. That's, that's, that's very nice. If you give me $54,000, oh, I'll probably take you out to dinner. Because, see, I can measure the difference that makes in my life. I've got a need, and I know what all that will enable me to do. Jesus has no need. So he can see clearly and solely the heart behind it. That, that's what's going on here. It's not, it's not just, a, oh, it's, it's not about the amount, it's about the heart. No, he actually means, I see the heart. I know what an amount communicates about the heart. And he sees here, as we said, 
money is just a tool for the widow, for Mary, for Ivy. Money was just a tool to worship her God, to love her God, to discipline her heart, to focus solely on God. God knows when he's been loved. And he applauds that love. And so today, after, yay, these many decades, this 350 will go in the plate. And when Jesus applauds, Ivy's going to see it. She'll be there to see it. Wow, what a start. Now let's get into what the chapter's about since church is over by two minutes. All right, I said bring a sack lunch. So let me, let, me, let me jump in. Obviously, a big part of this chapter is what you and I refer to as end-time events. What's interesting about the Bible is whenever it's talking about end times, sometimes it's three, four verses. Sometimes it's a whole chapter, like we look here at Luke 21. Sometimes it's a whole book, like Revelation. But every time we get this information, there's a point There's a reason. It's that we would be prepared. What's interesting is that Jesus gives two kinds of warnings. And they sound like a little bit of a contradiction. The two warnings lead me to say, Jesus, it can't be both. Which is it? So there's one warning that you won't know when this is going to happen. Look up here at Matthew 24. Therefore, you must also be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. I'm coming back and you're not going to know when. You're not going to know that you should have cleaned up that day. It is going to come upon you. But then we read what we just read in Luke 21. And look at this one. So also, when you see these things taking place, you know that the kingdom of God is near. So it would be a place where he's not talking about you'll know the exact second hour or day, but he's saying, hey, you'll be able to measure this sign and this sign and this sign and this sign. And when you see all that happening, hey, you know, you know, hey, this is, hey, we need to be cleaning up. This is about to happen. Well, which is it, Jesus? Am I going to know? Am I going to be able to see? Or I'm not going to be able to expect it? And the answer is yes. It's both of them. Because it's to two different groups of people. When the Bible talks about, and when I say the Bible, the Old Testament's going to always call it the day of the Lord. The New Testament refers to it as the second coming. We often refer to it. We've had the first coming of Christ, Christmas. And then there's going to be the second coming. When the Bible is referring to the day of the Lord or the second coming, there's a lot of passages that look at that, and I like to say zoomed out. It's just this big event, this big moment, a day, that happens out there when Jesus comes back. That's, that's zoomed out. But then we come across passages like Revelation, and what does Revelation do? It zooms in. And when we come up onto the second coming, the day of the Lord, we find out, oh, wait a minute. This is not a singular event. It's not just a day. It actually takes place over seven years. And there's a a rapture and an Armageddon and an Antichrist. And there's all these things taking place in the cosmos, all these things taking place on the earth. And, And we find out there's a whole bunch as we zoom in on it. So there's two key events. And this is an interpretation, and not everybody has the same interpretation. So I want to be truth in advertising here. Okay, I hold a pre-tribulational view. And 
one of the biggest reasons is because of what's going on here in Luke 21. And I like to be right. If others want to be wrong, I'm so comfortable with that. Okay? So, the it can happen at any moment and you won't know when is a message to all those Jew and Gentile that have accepted Christ as their Savior and Lord that are a part of the family of God right now. Folks, there is no sign that has to happen for the rapture to take place. It could have happened a thousand years ago. It could happen today. And it might still be a thousand years away. Although I sure hope not. It sure seems like we're wound awfully tight right now. But there is no sign that we're looking for that would say the rapture is nearby. It can happen like this. But once the rapture happens, it is going to kick off a series of events. What are those series of events? We just read them in Luke 21. And those series of events are aimed at, there's two primary purposes. A key one, God's making things right with the Jewish people that sacrificed, that brutally murdered his son. He is making things right. There's also a world-rejecting Messiah, but it's not about the church. That, that, that's why he raptures the church out. That's why he takes them out. Real interesting, in the beginning of Revelation, first four chapters, the word church is used 24 times. But when you get to chapter 6, which is the start of the tribulation, from chapter 6 to the end of the book, the word church is not used once. Why? How can you talk about all this detail and nowhere mention the church? Because we're not here. We've been raptured up. The tribulation is about them. It's about those that have rejected Messiah and primarily Israel. So that's how God can give these two different warnings. And there will be a great reception of the Messiah, a great turning to Jesus by the Jews during this time. Now, We're almost done here, but why I'm clearly just doing a flyover of chapter 21, I do want to do a deep dive on verse 32. You read that and you should say, wait a minute, was Jesus wrong there? He says, I tell you the truth, this generation will not pass away from the scene until all these things have taken place. Now, anybody in read that and go, well, but they did pass away. This hasn't happened yet, and they passed away. As a matter of fact, not only did they pass away, but a whole lot of other generations have passed away until we're finally up to our generation. Did Jesus just miss it here? I mean, I've said from the pulpit a lot of times, Jesus, the Scripture, gives us all this prophecy, and it's right 100% of it. Now, honestly, folks, if Jesus was 99 for 100, I'd still be good with Jesus. It, it may, maybe, maybe he just, you know, thought it was going to happen soon, got to heaven. His dad said, you know, I'm not doing that for a couple thousand years. No, we have to interpret the word this. See, when you and I read this, our natural way of hearing that is his audience is the generation. This generation will not pass away until all these things take place. But that's his audience is not the this that he's talking about. Who is the this? It's the generation of the fig tree. The generation that sees the signs, that sees those leaves coming out. That generation will not pass away until it all takes place. Now, here's why that is such a profound teaching, probably not so much to you and me, but to the Jews. 
Because when you go back into the Old Testament, you find these judgments that took place over 70 years, judgments that took place over 400 years. I mean, there's all kinds of judgments in the Old Testament that take generation after generation. And so he is teaching these Jews who are going to go through this, this isn't like before. This one comes on hard and fast and does entire destruction in one generation. If you're alive when this happens and not a follower of Christ, you will see the... And when I say you'll see, most of humanity will die during the tribulation. But the the generation that is alive at the beginning will see the beginning, the middle, and the end. They will see the entire judgment. And of course, we know it'll take seven years. So really important what he's saying here. And no, he didn't miss it. Jesus is still batting a thousand. You know, the key to all this, folks, and I'm repeating what I said at the beginning, the key is to be ready. Notice how, notice how Jesus finishes here. We get all caught up in signs, don't we? Who's the Antichrist? What's 666? Is it seven years? Does, does, he, does the church get raptured in the middle or the beginning? or the? Hey, we should get wrapped up in that. We should want to understand and know. But sometimes in all of our debating and intrigue and interest and mystery, we forget why we're given all this information, and it is to be ready. And I I love this phrase. I find it so interesting. Jesus says there, "Don't, uh, don't, uh, don't let your hearts be dulled. Don't let your hearts be dulled by carousing and drunkenness. And by the worries of this life. Now, you just mentioned three words, carousing, drunkenness, and worrying. Is that three sins that keep us from being ready? All the other sins, not such a big deal? <laughs> it, it's not three sins. It's two categories. We're, we're usually doing one of two things. We're working to give ourselves value and worth and tell ourselves that we're important or we're trying to be happy. So you've got really some sins of pleasure And you've got some sins of our effort to say I'm good, to say I'm okay. This over here, this group of sins leads me to worrying and anxiety and fear. This group of sins leads me to trying to find joy and happiness in something other than God. Both groups of sins, here's what Jesus is saying right here. Both groups of sins are about saying today's everything. I'm not living for eternity. I'm living. How I feel right now is all that counts. And that's why I'm going to lie. That's why I'm, I'm going to get drunk. The most important thing is me being seen as important right now. So I'm going to compete and I'm going to fight and I'm going to work against you because I got to be higher up than you are. All these sins are about me saying today is the day and today is all that counts. What Jesus is saying in all this, folks, is you've got to live for eternity. Live for eternity. Now, that's a, gosh, almost a cliche in our culture, in our little group here. Live, live for, when you hear that, what do you hear? What, what, what do you hear that you're being told to do? Live for eternity. I'll say, Pastor, you're up there taking the whole day to give this sermon. Why don't you tell me what it means? <laughs> no, I'm not, because I've already taken the whole day. So you figure it out. When you hear, what do you, again, what do you think? You know, I bet a lot of us have had the experience of, have, of feeling like God placed something on our hearts, right? You know, I feel like God wanted me to go say this to them. I feel like God wanted me to give this to them. I feel like God wanted me to do this. And, and God will put something on our hearts. And here's the funny, we're, we're, we're really awesome, aren't we? 
I'll have some, God's placed something on my heart. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to take some time and pray about it. <laughs> to who? God's already told you what to do. You don't need to ask him anymore. Just do it. No, I'm, I'm going to pray about it. But it's amazing. We'll feel like God has laid something on our heart and then not move. I bet you if Jesus was coming back Thursday and you knew he was coming back Thursday, I bet you'd take care of it. Matter of fact, I bet you wouldn't even wait till Wednesday. I bet you'd have that done in about 30 minutes. Man, yeah. See, that, that's a perfect example of we, we don't live like it's going to happen Thursday. I bet some of us in here would probably go tell someone we're sorry or go ask for forgiveness. I bet some of us in here would go tell somebody about the Lord because we know they need to hear about the Lord and For most of our lives, we live under there's only one great value, and that's not to offend anybody. That's all that's important is that I don't offend them. I bet if you knew they were going to hell, thought they were going to hell, and Jesus was coming Thursday, I bet you'd take a shot even at offending them. And by the way, I'm not challenging everybody to go offend as many people as you can this week. The Bible says to be gentle. It says to be respectful. It says to be strategic. We look for those open doors. We look for the opportunity. But in the name of not offending, we don't look or speak a word. There's all kinds of things. The list is so... You know, I I was thinking about this. Another thought. This, This chapter really grabbed me. Another thought I'd never had before. If I really believe Jesus might be coming back, would there be a single day in my life I would not be doing at least one thing to prepare Would I I not be doing at least something today that makes me better prepared for his return? Because, folks, Jesus is going to come back. Well, here's what's going to happen. We're going to die, or there's going to be a rapture, or there's going to be a second coming. Either way, we all end up standing before God on a great getting up morning, all right? And I'm not trying to be pessimistic about me or you or us. I just feel with all my heart that the tremendous majority of us are ill-prepared for that moment. We're not ready to have that conversation. And you know what we're going to say? We're going to look Jesus in the eye and we're going to say, I didn't know. And I think Jesus might look back at us and say, you didn't know what? That I was telling the truth? Let's pray. Oh, Lord, I pray for myself, for everybody in this room, for everybody watching online. May we be a people who believe you are telling the truth. And may it move us to action. May it move us to action to today. May it move us to action tomorrow. May it move us to action every single day. How many times in your word, over and over and over, have you said, I'm coming back, and there's some things that need to be done? God, you have loved me so greatly. I don't want you to come back, find I use that love and forgiveness just to make a mess. Lord, I I pray for each of us right now. Place something in our heart and mind right this second. Here's the first step. Here's one thing today. 
What a joy. What a joy to be able to live for eternity, to live for you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.